Hi there. I just want to thank you so much for your positive response and feedback to this podcast. It's really an honor to be able to share these Kabbalah teachings with you. And um, I really appreciate those who have reached out to me. You can always reach out to me. I'm rabbi at jewishndg.com. I also wanted to let you know that what I did for you is I just started uh, this new website called theloverabbi.com. And if you go to shop, I put up all of the new Kabbalah courses that I'm giving. And you can literally just purchase those courses right there. There's a special introductory rate for you. I have... Um, Kabbalah mindfulness, turning door walls into doorways, the Kabbalah of dreams. I have concepts in Kabbalah, Kabbalah for everyone, the power of forgiveness, what are my values, and a bunch of courses there that you can just download. You can be able to watch them and um, get the resources there on your own time, at your own time. And of course, I'm always available to answer your questions. So it's really a win-win uh, for everyone. And I really encourage you to go there and to take a look at it. It's theloverabbi.com, T-H-E-L-O-V-E-R-A-B-B-I.com. And just go to shop and you'll see all the really great stuff there. You'll also see all the other great stuff on the website. And uh, in any case, thank you so much again and looking forward to seeing you soon. I wanted to let you know that on Sunday, January 10th, I'm going to be starting a new course called Concepts in Kabbalah. It's going to be on Zoom. It's going to be a live course, a six-part series, where I'm going to go through the basic concepts in Kabbalah. So an introduction to Kabbalah, a God and the Ladder Up, Tzimtzum, the Sefirot, the Four World. It's going to be highly interactive and an opportunity for you to really delve into uh, the mystical elements of Kabbalah and really get an idea of the concepts and the words that are used in Kabbalistic literature. Uh, there's a small cost for it, and I really hope that you can attend and join me on this uh, incredible journey. It's going to be starting again Sunday night, January 10th, and it's going to go for six Sundays. You can uh, go on jewishndg.com to apply for it, or you can just look at the Eventbrite link in the show notes to this episode. And now on with today's class. Tonight is the first class of Kabbalah for everyone. It's called the Kabbalah of Love. My first question tonight is, if I say the word love, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Family. family. Children. Children. Love family, love children. Commitment. Commitment. Yeah. The Torah. Okay. Give and receive. Give and receive. I have all these... You guys are all Kabbalists already. What do I have to teach this class for? <laughs> what else? Sharing. Sharing. Okay. If I talk about the word relationship, what's the first word that comes to mind? Wife. Wife. Loyal. Loyal. Journey. Journey. The equation. Partnership. Partnership. 
coming together. If I say the word romance, what's the first word that comes to mind? Love. Love. Hearts. Hearts. Yeah? Physical interaction. Byproduct of? Okay. So I think that it's obvious to me from the answers I'm getting that a lot of us have very real ideas of what love is. And that's great because I don't have to start off by telling you that Hollywood has really distorted and disturbed and hurt our view of love. And there's a lot of people, no one in this room, it's obvious to me, but there are a lot of people who have a version of love that's not realistic. Most movies are two hours long, and that is how long most relationships last. Love is a very powerful thing, and tonight we're going to talk about that love and about that power. My next question is, what do you love more than anything else? I heard children. Family. God. 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 Life. Life. Only heard four answers. Come on. Is it wrong to say self? Yourself. Self. Nothing wrong in this room. Knowledge. Your pet. Pet. <laughs> Name, please. <laughs> Money for some people. Material objects. Material objects for some people. Here's the reality. Whether we want to admit it or not, no one loves me more than I love myself. No one will ever love me more than I love myself. I am the greatest thing that ever happened to the world, correct? Not everybody thinks that. Really? Not everyone thinks that. Well, I think that. It's a great question, and we're going to get to that tonight also. It's a very good question. What if someone's depressed? Yeah. That's also a form of love. Being a your own main priority is a form of love. And it's true. You're right. Depression. There's a lot of people who don't love themselves. But what we're going to go over tonight, what is most important to us tonight, is the understanding of ourselves. Whether we love ourselves, whether we don't love ourselves, we need to understand ourselves. Because in order to love another, in order to love something that's outside of ourselves, we have to love ourselves first. 
So any issue, anything that happens that causes us not to love ourselves, it's going to be a problem and it's going to be ever more difficult to love someone else. So how do we know what to look for if we don't know ourselves? So the first thing we have to do is we have to find out who we are. Then we have to acknowledge the person that we found within ourselves. Once we find who we are, we have to acknowledge who we are. We have to accept unconditionally, in a healthy way, who we are. And then, number three, we can actually go on to loving someone else. Because the truth is that no matter what we can do about it, no matter what happens, the autobiographical version of ourself will constantly change. And if we don't actively change, we're going to passively change. We do evolve over time. The same person that I was three years ago is not going to be the same person I am today. I'd like to think that nothing changes. There are some people who spend a lot of time making sure nothing changes, but there's nothing we can do about it. We will change our understanding, our emotions. We will evolve whether we're going to do it consciously, like coming to a class like this, or we're going to do it passively by just letting life happen. But our experiences, the things that happen to us, our understanding. The fact of the matter is that if you were to take the same exact class three years ago, you would have a different understanding of the material I'm going to teach than you have today. It's just a reality. Love, and especially love, needs to be worked on, it needs to be renewed, it needs to be refreshed, because as someone once said, love or life is a constant love affair. We have to constantly renew it and refresh it. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So the first question if you look at your workbooks on page four, do you long for love? Most of us do. The intimate touch of another soul is the most powerful anecdote for the all too human experience of aloneness. It may be the most compelling and pleasurable experience there is. So why do we spend so much of time and energy avoiding intimacy? by defending ourselves, being angry, being critical, being closed and judgmental, and in short, blocking the experience that we most deeply want. So often, the people who are closest to us have the hardest time with us. They say you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family, so how come you have more family than friends? The people who are closest to us suffer the most. And it's not because of them. It's because of the inside, because of who we are. We spend so much time judging. We don't only judge it, so much of who we are, our conditioning. There's the nature versus nurture, I understand that whole story. 
We've been through it so many times in our lives in nature versus nurture. This is the first thing I'm going to teach you, the first Kabbalistic concept I'm going to teach you. Whether it's nature or nurture, it doesn't matter. Kabbalah teaches that we are able to rise above everything. The quintessential Kabbalist will be within, but stay above. Be within this world, not in another world, not in another dimension, not in another place. Be within this world. Get dirty in this world. Deal with all the problems of this world, but constantly stay above it. This world will not have an effect on the Kabbalist. I'll give you a perfect example. I grew up uh, in a Yiddish-speaking society, and there was a, I don't know if this translates as much in the world, I think it does. There, when someone said thank you, someone said adank in Yiddish, thank you, the answer, the response was nishta kein farvas, which translates as nothing to think. What? Yes, there is. What are we doing? And we do this so often. Someone says, thank you. <laughs> it was so nice of you. Okay. We think we're being humble. We think that we're being spiritual and balanced. And maybe even we're being Kabbalistic, but we're not. Because someone went out of their way to say thank you. And we just destroyed their thank you. We just destroyed what they've done. The, the response would be accept. We must accept. Thank you. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. It was an honor. It was truly my pleasure. Not, eh, what are you thanking? I'm thanking you because I care about you. The reaction, the, 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 the movement back is someone just thanked me. Oh, I don't want to boost my ego. I don't want to go there. That's not going to take me in a good place. I'm going to become haughty, egotistical. I'm going to become complacent. Life is going to change. This is terrible. What am I doing with myself? It's just going to be a slippery slope. It's not about me. It's about you. So step one to try to understand ourselves tonight is we're going to ask the question. Selfish or selfless? Let's start. Give me some stuff that's selfish. What's selfish? Huh? Eating the last cookie. That is really selfish. Who eats the last cookie? You get that big boat of sushi, who takes that last piece? It's terrible, yeah. Selfish, I need some, some more selfish. It's very hard because nobody here is selfish. When you do something that hurts someone but puts you ahead? Yeah, putting yourself ahead. But someone else 
Yeah. Manipulation. Manipulation. Yep. Anything else? Selfish. Guarding interest. Yep. Okay, let's go to the easier side. Selfless. Go for it. Volunteering. Yeah. Donation. Sacrifice. We'll talk about that. That's an interesting one. Giving. Giving. No problems. Okay. Let me revisit four biblical prototypes. We're going to use characters of the Bible to try to describe the difference between selfish and selfless. The first one is a man named Hanoch. He lives right after Adam, about four generations after Adam. He comes into a world that is corrupt. He wants to bring spirituality to this world that's corrupt. So what he decides is the following. In order for me to bring spirituality to this world, I must seclude myself from the entire world, protect myself, and I will sit in the wilderness alone and connect to God. Just me and you, God, he says. Selfish or selfless. He's bringing spirituality into this world. He's the only one bringing spirituality into this world. Selfish or selfless? Selfish. Anyone else? Selfish. Selfish. Why? He's making the world a spiritual place. He's, he could have gone and, and gone to the casino. He could have gone and done all the disgusting things of the world. I, mean, I, I don't know why I say casino, but he could have done all the disgusting things of the world. But no, he decides that he's going to be spiritual. Is this not a selfless person? So that's why you're saying selfish. Okay. So he's bringing spirituality into the world, but no one is benefiting aside for him, so he's selfish. Yes? Well, if he, I was going to say, if you can do self-introspection, and then, you know, like the classic permit that people come and ask you for, but I guess that would be uh, selfless. But if he blocked himself away from the world, doing self-introspection, uh, and not... So, so you're going with the selfish. Is there anyone that says selfless? Selfless. You say selfless? Yeah, but not only. I think he thinks he's being selfless. He thinks he's being selfless, yeah. but everyone else thinks he's being yeah, selfish. Because he's in his mind sacrificing what he might really want to do to bring spirituality. 
So he, he, he's sacrificing what his desires are to make the world a better place in the way that he knows how to. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And did his seclusion bring the desired achievement? Great question. So what happened at the end of his life? God takes him from the world at a young age because he says, you want to be me and you? You don't belong here. And thus establishes one of the core principles of Judaism, one of the core principles of Kabbalah, and one of the core principles of everything we're going to study. The purpose of being in this world is to make this world a better place. Today people call it tikkun olam, repairing this world, refining this world, and making this world better. Everything we do is about making this world better. So he had, and I, and I like your, 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 your line of thinking and your line of thinking, it's, it's very right. He, in his own way, he thought he was doing the right thing. But he wasn't doing the right thing because his job was to go and try to make others spiritual. Try to spread that out into the world. So he comes out as completely selfish to the point where we see that God takes him away from this world young. Next biblical prototype, Noah. Anyone hear that guy? Built the ark. What do you think? We know the story of Noah. He builds the ark, saves humanity. He's the only one that God can trust. The world is corrupt. God has to destroy the world with the flood. Selfish or selfless? There's no wrong answer. Go for it. Huh? Why? Okay, I won't, I won't put you on the spot. I saw that face. Selfish, I heard. Yes? So he was being practical about it, right? So he's selfless because he gave up. He, once again, like Hanoch, he could have gone into the world and become one of them, but he went against the world and said, we've got to save the world, and because of him, we're all his kids. Okay. He's selfless because he could have been selfish and kept it all to himself and saved his family and everybody, but he didn't. He did save his people. He did give them the chance what you're saying is very interesting. I want to come back to that in, in one minute, but it is very interesting because it, you, I'm going to give you a piece of information that you're, it's going to shock you. Does, yeah. Does it come, does it come to say that you're selfish because you didn't negotiate enough on the Yeah, so what is said about Noah is a fascinating thing. How long did it take him to build the ark? Anyone know? 40 days. 120 years. Took him 120 years to build the ark, according to the, the Midrash. And the reason why it took him so long to build the ark is so that he could go around and encourage the corrupt society to join him on the ark. Now, in 120 years, if I gave you a task, 
And let's, we know how long a, a day is, we know how long a week is, or a month, or even a year. If I said in 120 years, your goal is to bring 100 people, that's less than one a year, onto the ark with you, to just explain to them that there's a God in the world and that they must come on the ark because the world will be, will be destroyed with a flood. How many people do you think went on the ark with Noah besides his immediate family? No one. The Torah, the Torah recounts who went on the ark. It was all his immediate family. In 120 years, he couldn't find one person who would believe him. So what Kabbalah says is that our family is really an extension of ourself. It's a direct <clears throat> extension. By nature, a parent will protect their child. So he, as a parent, protected his children as an extension of himself because the child is part of the parent, intrinsically. So therefore, Noah becomes selfish. Next one. Abraham. Abraham. Anyone know the story of Abraham? He leaves his father's home, leaves his birthplace, last week's Torah portion, and he sets up a tent in the middle of a desert where there's no food, there's no shelter. And he sets it up at the four-corner crossing of an oasis. And he sets up a tent that has an entrance on all four sides so that no matter where you're coming from, you can come to Abraham's inn and eat and sleep to, and to your heart's content, and it's the only one of its kind, and there's caravans, tons of caravans, coming through Abraham's tent in a day. He is extremely busy, smart business right there. Selfish or selfless? <laughs> Good one. I like that. Good thinking. How much is he charging? So I'll tell you the rest of the story. The rest of the story is that somebody would finish sleeping and eating and they'd say, Abraham, how much does it cost? And he would say, nothing. All you got to do is pray to my God. But this guy would say, I got my own gods. I don't want to pray to your God. He said, okay, fine, a million dollars. <laughs> Selfish or selfless? Selfless. Selfish. Selfish. Why? Why selfish? Because he's not respecting their, their beliefs. It's selfless with a cause. Right? He looks like he's selfless, but he's got a cause. And the truth is, who would imagine that 4,000 years later, majority of the world would think like him? He was the only one of his time thinking in monotheism. Today, monotheism is basically everyone. There's very few people who don't believe in one God. So he had a cause, a very specific cause, to spread monotheism into the world. But that doesn't take away from the fact that he was being selfish with a cause, or selfless with a cause. So it's not the Henoch selfish where it's me and God, it's not the Noah selfish where it's me and my family, it's a higher form of selfish, where it's selfish with a cause. And here's my fourth prototype, Moses. What's the story of Moses? Jewish people, they're slaves in Egypt. Amen. You saw the movie, right? There's a new one coming out. Take off your shoes, Moses. 
takes off his shoes, the bush is burning, and the bush says to him, go take the Jews out of Egypt. And what did Moses say? Are you joking? I think you got the wrong guy. Am I a candid camera? But did Moses go? Yes. But his entire life, this Moses, and everything he did, he kept on saying over and over again, God, I'm not an extrovert. God, I'm not a spokesman. God, I am not the right guy for the job. I don't know why you picked me. Over and over and over. I don't know why you picked me. But he did it. Listen to that internal conflict right there. The Moses conflict. Why did you choose me? I'm the wrong, I'm not a leader. I don't belong in this position. I'm not the right guy. There's a hundred other people that can be doing a job much better than me. But I'm not gonna hide under my covers and say I'm not gonna do it. That's false humility. False humility is, I'm too humble for this. I'm too humble for the job. Humility is, I'm the wrong person for the job, but I'm gonna do it anyway. You know why? Because you asked me. And Moses becomes the quintessential form of humility. Now, I'll show you something. I'll just add a little, a little bit of my own commentary to this whole story. I think there's a little bit of us in each one of these stages. And I think that at times, we get stuck at various stages. So the Hanoch stage is the infant. It's that, it's me and you, God. It's, it's, the infant needs constant attention, cannot do anything by themselves. They're completely selfish. They have no choice. There's no way that they can do anything. They're completely selfish. They are invalids, where they have to have someone completely take care of them and watch over them. If they were left to their own device, they would not be able to make it by themselves. Then you have the Noah. You have the, the teenager, or the, the, the young adult teenager, where it's me and my people, me and the family. It's all about me and my friends. I don't really care about anything else. I just want to make sure that I got my peeps around. Then there's Abraham. Abraham's the young adult, the university student, the young adult, forging their path, trying to figure it out. Selfless, but with a mission trying to find out what their place is in the world, what their unique purpose is in this world, what their unique imprint is during this lifetime. And then there's Moses. Moses becomes the mature adult, the one who's, who's found their path and is trying to maintain it. And I think often we get stuck at one of those phases. And if we think of our lives, we'll see where we fall into the, into the, four, the four prototypes. A Jewish value is action. I'm going to ask you a question that's in left field. What's more important, to do or to believe? Which means, I'm going to go very specific here. If someone believes in God in their heart, but doesn't do anything, just believes in God, doesn't help anyone, doesn't volunteer or donate or sacrifice or give, just believes in God. 
or someone does not believe in God, but volunteers donate sacrifices and gifts, which one is better? Yeah. I choose selfless, like the doing is better than believing. Like if you doing, do nothing, doing is better than believing, I have here, yes? Doing is better than believing. Well, yes? Does anyone say believing is better than doing? It's a very strong statement you're saying. I mean, I, I made it strong by giving you those, those, those two parallels. But does anyone not think that believing is stronger than, than doing? Believe is stronger? Tell me why. <laughs> okay, fine. Don't tell me why. to define what doing is. So first, the Jewish value is action. Everything's about action. You don't have to believe in what you're doing, you just have to do. Now what are you doing? There's this idea in the world that everything has to be perfect. There's no such thing in Judaism as perfect. What is the goal? To make this world a better place. Not a perfect place, not the greatest place. We're not trying to bring it back to perfection. We will never bring it back to perfection. Well, ourselves, by doing today, we can't. Eventually, hopefully, maybe we can bring a perfect world. To do something more today than I did yesterday, that's the goal. Something. Not everything, do something. Don't go backwards, go forward. A little something. Be conscious, because if you're not, there's only two ways to go in life, up or down. If you're not growing, you're going to go passively down. So if you're not consciously, actively growing, you're going to go passively the other way. So I want to go into the next step. Any questions about anything I've said so far? We're good? Anyone falling asleep on me? It's late. There's coffee. I want to talk about the ego. And I'm going to point out some actual Kabbalah concepts, like I said, because my goal tonight is to teach you some actual Kabbalistic concepts. But I'm going to use the analogy of love and identity to do that tonight. The answer is that we are wired to constantly reinforce our limited ego-based identity. Our sense of who we are. This ego-based identity plays a very important role in human life. But it does not have the power to love. Our ego cannot love. And we spend so much time trying to figure out how to control our ego, what to do, and we use our ego to to get a strong self-esteem and to get ahead and to eat the last cookie and to put others down to get ourselves ahead and to manipulate and to guard our own interests. We spend so much time. That is so important. Our ego drives us. We become successful because of our ego. We become driven. We become excited. 
That's our ego. But ego is all about self. It can and does experience need. And need is often mistaken for love. Need is often mistaken for love. And the ego can certainly love how another person makes it feel. There's a lot of people who get into relationships out of need. I need to have someone who loves me. And when that person doesn't love them, or that person doesn't do what they need, there's no relationship, and the relationship starts to, to fail. A relationship cannot survive on mutual needs. It doesn't work, because you're really then two people living parallel lives. You're not really in a relationship. A relationship, you have to kind of bridge over. You have to create a bond, a connection. Two parallel people living two parallel lives, constantly, tit for tat, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. That's not a relationship. That's a... That's a, a love business deal. We're in, lo we're in the love business. We're going to take care. Uh-uh. Look, okay, I just want to tell you, I've got four more ticks on my list of things I've done for you than you have on your list of things to be... T for me, you better catch up. The week is coming to the end. That's the relationship business. That is never going to work and never going to be something that will sustain a relationship. But I want to know, what are you going to do for me? What am I going to get out of it? Everything I do, money, time is money. Everything I do, I have to have some kind of reward for. If I'm going to get into a relationship with you, what am I going to get out of it? That is a relationship for disaster. And a lot of people passively, not even realizing they're doing this, get into relationships for this exact reason, out of a need. The world that we live in today has been plagued with the capital I disease. With the I. You know the I disease? I. The only letter in the English language that is always capitalized is the I. It's always, it's, it's, when I look at a book, I open a book, all I see is the eyes. That's all I see. It's the only letter that stands alone, always. Then, you know, you want to have that lowercase i day, right? Because you want to try to have a little humility. So you go on Microsoft Word and you start typing and you press spacebar. What happens? Auto capitalization. You want to be humble? The world, we will show you. Your eyes will always be capitalized. We live in a world where we expect, we want, we desire. All we care about is the capitalized I. And the world reinforces that with iPods and iPhones and iPads and anything else that you can put an I in front of. I'll bait it's a lowercase I, but it's only for marketing reasons. We spend so much time focused on I. But what's fascinating to me is you take two eyes and you put them together and you get a W. You get a we. 
If you take your two I's, your two capital I's, and you put them and you merge them and you create one identity, you get the we. The I is never going to lead to true love. True love and intimacy doesn't come from the ego. In order to experience the power of true love, you have to get in touch with a different part of yourself that lies beyond the ego. So according to Kabbalah, we have two souls. We have what is called the animal soul, the ego-driven soul, the animal within us, that part of us that is like an animal. It desires. It wants to eat. It eats. It wants to sleep. It sleeps. Whatever it wants. It's not evil. It just desires. And it's constantly wanting to desire more. So an animal doesn't think, oh, that animal, that has a life. No, it's hungry. So it just goes over and rips it apart and eats. So there's a part of us. Our nature, actually, is an animal. That's our authentic, well, the part that is closest to us is an animal. And then, or what we're going to call here an ego-based identity. The other part of ourselves is one that's aloof. It's not part of us. We have to actually work to bring it into our lives. And that's the part of ourselves that's higher. It's the, it's the God part. It's the divine soul. It's the part of ourselves that's higher than the animal. So, bottom of page four. <clears throat> this process is easier when you understand the true nature of your ego-based identity. It doesn't really exist. Although it functions as if it's the most real thing about you, in fact, your identity is only a perspective. It's kept alive solely through the stories you tell yourself about life, others, and yourself. It's your internal narrative. The moment you change your internal narrative, there goes your ego-based identity. It's that simple. It doesn't take something very complicated. It's just changing what we tell ourselves. Changing our affirmations, changing our prayers, changing how we think of ourselves. You could say, literally, that your ego is all talk. An incessant monologue whose sole purpose is to reinforce your sense of self, who you are and who you aren't. So most of the time it goes something like this, I'm better than he is uglier than she is, smarter than him, richer than her, worse than I should be, I can do this, I can never do this, I shouldn't have done that, they shouldn't be that way, life is good, life is hard, he's right, she's wrong, I'm great, I'm no good, it's my fault, it's her fault, it's their fault, it's the dog's fault, and on and on and on. Just as a whale identifies its location through bouncing sound waves 
off nearby objects. Your ego pinpoints its own presence and defines itself by relating to the people, ideas, and subjects around it. So there's often we create our identity based on others. Oh, I wish I could be like them. I wish I had the willpower that he has. I wish I was as beautiful as she is. I wish my life was like theirs. First of all, let's get real here. How do you know? Are you with them 24-7 to know exactly how their life is? No, it's just our perception of what that we think that person is. What Kabbalah wants us to do, the first step, is stop looking around negatively. Look around positively. You want to make a good statement about someone? You want to say, I like what you're wearing. I like the way you think. You're a good person. I like, that was amazing, that volunteering that you did. That's amazing. That, that, that inspired me. I, I went, I, I, when I heard that story about how, what you did for those kids, I, just, I, I had no choice, but it just inspired me so much I had to go volunteer somewhere. When it comes to negativity, when it comes to judging, we have to stop looking around. That's the first step. And I'll show you a very simple way to do this. Because naturally, we're going to want to judge. Naturally, we're going to want to look. So the easiest way to do is take a physical step back. When you get a thought like that, thoughts are powerful. We're going to learn in a later class that thoughts are not really ours. They don't, they're not really part of us. They're, they're clothes. According to Kabbalah, our thought is, our clo- is clothing. Like clothing we can take off and put on depending on what we want to look like. Our thoughts are clothing. So the first thing is you get a thought. You want to get rid of that thought? Take a step back. You're sitting down? Stand up from your chair. Physically. Say to that thought, I don't want you. This is not part of my life right now. That's not what I want. I should be thinking about. It's easy. It's comfortable. It's nice. But it's not going to do anything for me. It's just going to make things so much more complicated. The process is continuous. Your identity must be continuously reinforced or you will quite literally lose the sense of who you are. If you find yourself creating your identity based on others... you're going to lose your whole sense of who you are. Identity must come from within. You know that one, right? The Buddhist goes to the New York hot dog vendor and says, make me one with everything. Hands him a $5 bill. And then he turns to him and says, where's my change? And the hot dog vendor says, change must come from within. Identity must come from within. We have to find, and this is the second step. After we get rid of all the mumbo-jumbo, after we get rid of all the extraneous noise, we're going to have to find our center, find our balance. That's what Kabbalah wants more than anything, is to find the balance. And we'll talk about that. And part of finding that balance 
is first getting rid of the things that are causing us harm. In Kabbalah, Kabbalistic concept is called hiskafia, abstain. Literally abstain. Move back. Move away. Get rid of the thoughts. Get rid of that voice. Get rid of the negativity. It doesn't belong. It's the first step in change. You cannot change. You can't stop gambling while you're standing in the casino. You can't get rid of an alcohol addiction with a bottle of alcohol in your hand. The simple way of getting rid of an addiction, any addiction counselor will tell you, the first thing you do is get rid of the alcohol. So if we're addicted to negativity, I don't want to use that extreme term, but if we are surrounding ourselves with negativity, get rid of the negativity. And that may mean something very difficult, getting rid of somebody in our life who's negative. It could be that some of those negative feelings are coming from someone else who we like to hang out with, who we like to be with. Now, it could be very difficult because if you're married to that person or you're in a serious relationship with that person, then it's a little more complicated than if it's just a friend. But let's say, step one, it's a friend or it's somebody who is an acquaintance. I would say the first step would be just a distance. Distance yourself from that person. You don't need that. And, and try to find someone that you can be with that is positive and will build you up and will help you become a better person. Because that's the kind of people, that's a true friend. A true friend is there for you, not for themselves. Not, friendships are also relationships. They're not romantic, but they're also relationships. So a true friend is there for you. If it's a partner, we'll talk about that at a different time, what to do about a partner with negative. That's a reality that sometimes people have. Any questions? Yeah. What if the negativity comes from within yourself? What if the negativity comes from within yourself? Is it okay? Can I ask? Can I ask everyone for an opinion? Is it okay? Yes. My opinion is that negativity never really comes completely from one source, not outside, not inside. It's usually a combination. That's what I think so. Okay, that's interesting. So negativity doesn't come from one place, it can come from a lot of places. It's, it's outside you and your response to it and your choice of contributing and not contributing to it and how much and so on and so forth. That's fascinating. Anyone else have an opinion? If you weren't a product of a life that you couldn't control, if you weren't conditioned the way you've been conditioned, if you had the choice 
of how to raise yourself? Who is the person that you would want to see in the mirror? I want you to write it. It's not as a personal thing. It's an exercise. Generally, when you get in the car, you have to have a destination. If you want to become a better person, you have to have a destination. You need to have a goal. Who's the person that you want to be? If you had all the time in the world, all the resources in the world, all the money in the world, who's the person that you want to be? Not where you would go, not what you do with the money. I know they always ask, if I had a million dollars, thank you. I'm very proud of my million dollars. If you had no limitations, who would you want to see? Who would this person be? I'm going to tell you something. You can't ignore the past. You can't ignore the amount of years that you've lived and what you've done. But there's two ways of dealing with it. The first way is to wear it on your forehead and to, to walk around with it and let it bog you down and let it just take you over and just... Everyone knows, my gosh, the person that walk, is walking over there is walking with the weight of the world on their shoulders. Or you can do the following. You can take all of those things, everything, open the bag, take a nice cloth bag, really good sturdy cloth bag, you open it up, stick it all inside. Close it, take a nice piece of string, tie it, take a stick, put it in the bag, throw it over your shoulder and leave it there. Don't lose it. Leave it right behind you. Not too far behind you, because every so often you gotta grab it, and you got to take it and put it down in front of you. you got to open it up and learn from the experiences that you've had. Because those experiences are so powerful. Those experiences are life-changing for someone else and for yourself as well. You, can't, you make the mistake once, it's yours. You make it twice, then you didn't learn. Those experiences are so important, but they have to be right behind you, not right in front of you. Close enough that you can grab them at any time. But don't wear them on your forehead. What I want to talk about in the second part of tonight's talk is your core essence. What Kabbalah calls your authentic self. Unlike your ego-based identity, its, ex its existence is not dependent upon outside circumstances or stories. Unlike your ego, it's not threatened by someone else's successes or enhanced by someone else's failures. In fact, the opposite is true. You could visualize your ego identity as like the surface of the ocean, changeable, 
vulnerable, reflecting the sun, the sky, the clouds, affected by every wind. But at your core, at your core is a vast, calm, still deep water beneath. Those deep, mysterious waters teem with every kind of life and potential. But this life is invisible from the surface. So often we get caught up in the waves. We get caught up in the winds. We get caught up on the surface. But when we dig down below, we'll see this incredible ocean. All transformation involves a process of seeing beyond the changeable surface and connecting with the vast, deep, life-giving waters beneath. This process usually involves a level of discomfort as your identity is shaken out of its established form and made to expand and reflect a deeper level of reality. But it's worth it. Now let me tell you how the world was created. You know God tried to make a perfect world? Many times. My favorite part of Kabbalah. God tried to make this perfect world. Guess what? It was destroyed. It couldn't last. The only world that worked was the world that was not perfect. It's the only one that survived. So how did God make this not perfect world? So, step one. You can look in the middle of page six in your workbook. Stage one. There's this God, this infinite, all-pervasive, essential light was shining without limit, filling all space. There was no place devoid of it. Therefore, nothing can exist aside from it. This was infinity. This is before the world was created. The light, again, remember, we always use these things as metaphors. It wasn't really light. But if we said uh, it was a kajumaba, you'd say, what? So we're using light as a metaphor to represent whatever it is. The word in English is anthropomorphic. To anthropomorphically represent whatever it is that we're really trying to say. So we're saying light. So God's light was all pervasive, was all powerful, was all over. It was everywhere. All it was is light. Now, with this light, nothing could be in this light without God. You ever meet people like that? No. Stage two. God concealed his light in order to create an apparently empty space in which other things, the universe, us, could exist. This concealment is stage two. This is the stage of the finite. You have to understand, the infinite is not finite. Within the, in order to create the finite, we have to remove the infinite. We have to conceal, we have to hold back the infinite. Where it became possible for myriad creatures and myriad perspective, each with its own limited boundaries and parameters to exist. If everything was still in stage one with God's infinite light, we could never have our own perception, our own ideas. So God had to remove himself, had to conceal. In Kabbalah, it's called Tzim Tzum. We'll talk about this a lot. 
that God had to conceal himself. So now, symptoms are a fascinating thing. Because, I'll give you an example. How about a stained glass window? If you ever walk in to see a stained glass window shining in, when you see the light in your hand that's shining through the stained glass window, it looks green. Is the light really green? It's not green. Now, if somebody never went outside and saw the sun, if their entire life they lived in the rooms with the stained glass windows, they could believe, grow to believe, that the sun is green. Or the sun is green over here, and it's blue over here, and it's yellow over here, and it's red over here. So that's what this concealment is. On the other side, it's still stage one. It's still light. The light has never stopped. But in order for us to be able to accept, what happened was God tried to take all the light and put it into the world. And what happened? The world exploded. It couldn't handle the light. It needed the vessel. Had, God had to create the vessel. In, 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 in Kabbalah, it's called Orot and Kelim. I'm going to use the Kabbalistic terms because I want to make you familiar with some of the, the actual Kabbalistic terms as we grow throughout the process. The light could not shatter the vessel. R is light, Keli is vessel. The light shattered the vessel. So in order for our world to exist, for the light not to shatter the vessel, God had to remove part of the light so that we could exist. And now, what was created as a result? Time and space. Everything we know has a beginning and an end. Everything we know is confined to time and space. That is finite. Infinite has no time and space. Actually, the infinite is just the removal of time and space. It's the removal of thought. I'll share with you a little Kabbalistic secret. The difference between life and death is death is just the removal of thought, which means that all those things that you don't want to think about, all those things that you try to ignore, they all come back. And that's why the beginning stage of the soul removing itself from the world is so complicated, because it has no filter anymore. All the filters are gone. And so it needs to go through a cleansing process where it becomes pure again from all the things that it did in this world. That's why we say the Kaddish, it's supposed to ease the pain of that cleansing process. And it's a transition stage that lasts no more than a year. The worst, the, 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 the one who was the worst in their lifetime, it lasts no more than a, than a year. We only say the Kaddish for 11 months because nobody ever is that bad that they have to go through that cleansing process for a year. And then the soul goes to heaven. There's no such thing as hell in Judaism. Hell is just that cleansing process for at most 11 months until the soul goes back to its source, goes back to the light. Yes, only because the soul rises higher, rises higher every, every year on the anniversary of the passing. Anyway, I digress. Uh, so stage, stage two becomes things that the world that's limited by time and space. And in order... For the infinite to have space within it, for the finite, we need this simsum, this concealment. So what's stage three? 
We already created the world. What do we need stage three for? Stage three is the merging of the infinite and the finite. It involves the transformation of the finite inhabitants of the universe. They must move from a state of being which conceals their infinite divine source to one which expresses and reveals it. Like a game of hide and seek, God conceals himself in our finite world and waits for us to find him. Through this process, he can endow us with the greatest gift there is, to exist as finite individuals and yet experience a truly intimate relationship with our Creator. We can be completely, completely God doesn't exist. That's how much space God has given us. But God has to in order for us to forge our path. The best parent is the parent who sees the child, the teenager, forging their path and gives them their space. That's what parents do. Because so the teenager needs to forge their own path and become a young adult and become successful. Your ego is central to this process. Like everything in the physical world, your ego hides the light of your essence. It is what allows you to exist as a separate individual. By blocking out your intrinsic connection to God, your true nature and purpose, and the essential oneness of the universe, your ego allows you to function as an individual. It allows you to have a personal perspective or a personal experience of life. Without it, you'd simply be part of the whole. If you just had God within you and no animal, if you just had everything perfect and there was nothing that was animalistic, well, let's just think about it, okay? If I, giving this class tonight, didn't have my ego, didn't have my passion, it sounds something like this. Tonight, we're going to talk about And tonight, we need that passion, we need that excitement, we need that individuality. Otherwise, we'd all fall asleep. It's late. So I want to, I know I'm already short on time, I want to just talk about the final step. Our world is what I'm going to call tonight an era of transformation. Our job in this world, all of us, is to transform. To transform ourselves, to transform our friends, our family, our community, our city, our country, to transform the world one step at a time. That is what we're doing here. Each of us has a unique purpose for being here. No one has the same unique imprint as the other. Every single person, every person that has lived, that will ever live, and is living today, has a different purpose. Every single one of us is here. There's no one redundant. We're here for a unique purpose. Now, if we knew that purpose, we would fulfill that purpose, and then we'd be gone in three days. So part of that mystery of not knowing our purpose is searching. And that search it's a very complicated one. It causes us tremendous difficulty, tremendous suffering. And we say, well, why me? Why, why? I just want to have a simple life. If anyone tells you that life is easy, 
they're wrong. Nobody ever said that life was easy. Oh, they didn't tell you that before you came into this world? No one told you? You're going to get the memo? Life is not supposed to be easy. That's not our purpose in this world, to have an easy life. Proof is people who have the easiest lives have the most difficult ones. You ever read Us Weekly? People Magazine? Most popular magazine? You understand People Magazine and Us Weekly accounts for 70% of magazine sales in the United States of America? In 2013, all other magazines fall on the other 30%. Celebrity, gossip, 70% of magazine sales in the year 2013. The people who we think are having easy lives are having the most difficult lives, and we can read about them in graphic detail. And we're so interested in reading about them in graphic detail. And that makes us feel good, because we think their lives are good, and we think they have a great life. And look, you got a million dollars and did nothing for you. Look at Justin Bieber. We are in a, a world that we need to transform. But in order to transform it, we have to transform ourselves first. Kabbalah says the righteous person is jealous of the person who transforms themselves. Because from the lower you come, the higher you can rise. That's a basic pretense of Kabbalah. From the lower you come, the higher you can rise. <clears throat> The people that come from the lowest place need, the world needs you to rise higher. We need to learn from you. You have something so powerful that you can share the world of experience, change, transformation, something that nobody else can share. We need to know that. The world needs that. And that transformation, when you Transform yourself and you come out of that. What you can share is something so incredible. And we need our ego for that. But our ego in a positive way, not in a negative way. Your defensive ego-based reactions will probably not go away for now. But instead of being a slave to them, you can use them as an impetus to connect to these deeper parts of you. The moment you choose to observe yourself rather than react, to question your own defense, instincts, to genuinely see another person's point of view, to admit where you may be wrong with something higher, to be generous with your time, with your money or resources when you don't have to, you have made your ego an ally. In fact, whenever you choose your body, mind, your time, your relationships, or you or your possessions to fulfill your authentic purpose, to do something intrinsically good and godly, those things for that moment are holy. They have been used on behalf of the purpose of creation. You have created a bit of light through which the world's darkness and concealment will be transformed. That's all it is. All it takes, the first step tonight, if I can urge you or ask you or request that this week, that between this moment and the next time we see each other, which is 8 o'clock next Tuesday night,
Just start, try one thing. There's a couple of things we spoke about tonight. We spoke about taking a physical step back when you have a negative thought. We spoke about being gen listening, being genuinely interested, choosing to observe rather than react, choosing to not react instinctive, but to think. You can take a step back before you react. Something happens, take a step back, think, then react. To listen to someone, just spend, that's it. If you spend five minutes listening to someone you don't want to listen to, between now and next week, I will consider that an accomplishment. Just five minutes listening to that person. We all have those people. Like, I don't want to hear this now. I don't have time for it. Just please. That's an accomplishment. Because that means you've used your ego in a positive way. To listen and then to understand. Oh, that's interesting. That's a point of view I never saw before. To admit when you're wrong, that's a huge step. I mean, if you do that between now and next week, I will consider you a saint. It's that simple. And that is the first step to trying to establish a relationship. That's the first step to trying to understand. And I'm going to tell you a secret. God created the entire universe to experience love. Authentic, real love. What's the love that God wants? Kabbalah says that we are the female and God is the male in the relationship and we are married. Actually, the Sinai experience was the marriage, was the wedding. The male is the giver and the female is the receiver. Our job in our relationships, in our world, is to constantly give. Don't be worried about receiving. The reason why God destroyed the world with the flood is because of too much receiving and not enough giving. The world needs more giving. Receiving will come. And I assure you, if it's a friend, if it's a family member, if it's a spouse, if you're in a real relationship with someone, if you give, They will give back. And whatever you can give to yourself, someone else giving to you is so much more powerful. You can never, you can never equate the two. You think it's good by yourself? If you have someone who truly, authentically, wholeheartedly gives to you, it's the most powerful experience you can ever imagine. And that's what God wants. That's what God wanted in this world, that we should give. That we should make this world, and when God sees that we give to this world and make this world a better place, that is the entire purpose for which the world was created. And that's my talk for tonight. Thank you so much for coming.